So we have a new character. It's Cisco's Van Dyke. Yeah, is, is that? No, a, no, that was in Explorers. It was there. Yeah, no, um, well, but it was it was obviously it was fake. a guest role in that one. This we know it's going to be a recur. Mm-hmm. You know, for a second, I think it could be Mirror Universe Cisco. So uh, the thing about Cisco's uh, Van Dyke goatee, whatever you want to, it's call a it. Van Dyke. Okay, Richard. Um, a is goatee that... is this part. A mustache is this part. A Van Dyke is when one this part's connected to that part. This has been beard philosophy with Richard Goodness. Trek a beard. Trek a beard. This is a partly Cisco's final form. I am always a little uncomfortable with Cisco in the first like three three seasons of the show because he doesn't look like Cisco. Yeah, well, that's how I was with Riker. I didn't know that Cisco grew one as well. Mm-hmm. He mm. does. Well, let and me there tell are more you. changes a coming. Ooh, does he grow like a long, you know, flowing mane? Oh. He does not. Mm. But there are more changes a coming with his hair, and I'm just leaving it at that. So it's like coming up pretty soon. Actually. Okay. So you'll you'll get the full Cisco experience, and he becomes like. The the he this is like his what what what's the pupa I guess larva pupa and then like he becomes a beautiful butterfly. So right now he's in his pupa stage. <laughs> then, then he becomes a butterfly in season four. Ew. So get ready for that. Okay. Does uh, he have like a big afro or something? <laughs> wow. <laughs> or or like the Theo Huxtable haircut? <laughs> You'll just have to wait and see. I'm excited. In a couple weeks, we'll find out. Uh, family business is. I liked it. A good Ferengi episode. And I think I primarily like it and think it works so well because it extrapolates out a part of Ferengi society that has been very, very disturbing for a long time that the show has not dealt with in any capacity and finally decides to deal with it in a semi-realistic and serious way. Now, obviously the role of women, but was there anything in particular about that or just... The general treatment. just a general thing yeah. about how that was always kind of treated as all oh, those Ferengi they keep their women as slaves who can't wear clothes or read <laughs> those rascals and now they're actually dealing with it to some degree yeah um it's interesting taking this in light of the Pell episode um sure and I would love if there were a third episode where Pell and Moogie have formed a business together and, like, they're secretly, like, controlling all of Ferengi. Um, but... I like how you never know what the names of the planets are, by the way. Well, what the hell would it be? Ferenginar. That's just stupid. I'm just telling you what it is. Then when did they be called Ferenginari? Uh, no. They're called... Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to tell you, man. Listen, man. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a retronym. It's a retronym. Um, yeah, I, I, I love moogie in this episode Jeez. moogie's a great character i think that that you know it's funny because the show again like like we were talking about in explorers last week i don't think that this is a, yeah. this is an episode that the show could have pulled off a couple seasons ago this was Be- a kind of another hangout episode as well it was but there was some serious stuff going on and it also required uh some character building with quark and rom you know sort of yeah. like the 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 ways in which the ferengi culture and society has been built over the course of like three seasons yeah. the show has been on i mean frankly let's deal with the fact that ferengi society seems like it would be horrible oh yeah um i don't know it's based on tipping everybody and i love tips it would be horrible are you kidding me like every single thing you have to pay for yeah. it's it's it, you know it's just it's so paranoid <laughs> it, it just seems so paranoid to a certain degree to me. Like there's no indication given that anybody is actually happy with this state of affairs, but they're all just like in it. 
Well, which because, I guess is how capitalism works. But anyway, I was going to say that they're really blind to, you know, I think it's really interesting that we've seen the we've seen a signifier of the liberation of Ferengi women as these women being able to participate in the capitalist process. Sure. This reminds me of how. In a lot of ways, a lot of people, for example, tie gay equality to, well, marriage and joining the military and things like that, which are not necessarily progressive causes sure. in a way. Yeah. Um, and yet— Or also, know, frankly, I mean, to, to, to make the, the comparison to, to the plight of women in, in you know, American society even more yeah. linked to the, the, the Ferengi society is, you know, women became liberated in part when they started going to work. And yeah, so, the vote was part of it, but work was another part, and then— um, yeah, so I think it's interesting because this episode makes it very clear how much circular logic is used to kind of bolster these views. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the, you know, women can't earn profit. Well, not, why not? They don't have the heads for it. Well, we've seen the two Ferengi women that we've seen so far both have brilliant heads for profit. They are, they are, they're not demonstrations. They are proof that a woman can, you know, perform admirably in finance. Um, and yeah, and of course, and this is how, this is how systems of supremacy work. Yes. Um, you know, at the very end, they managed to convince, you know, this to get swept under the rug by basically saying like, look, if people find out about this, this is going to inspire more people to, you know, this is going to lead to, frankly, the breakdown of everything. Now, I think you and I believe that maybe Ferengi society should break down a little bit. Yes. Um, or maybe a lot bit. Yes. But, um, you know, it, it's one of the interesting things I found with this episode is towards the end when, you know, Ram tells uh, Quark, you know, oh, She's going to share half of it with you and immediately, like, goes. Mm-hmm. Like, what this reminded me of was a Mad Men art episode, actually. Okay. Um, there's one episode where Pete is uh, – he, he he's on an account for a television. Do you remember this plot? No. And he's on an account for a television uh, Oh, is this about the, 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 the Negro market? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what happens is – I know, was th- doing air quotes then because yeah. that's what the show says, not what I say. Well, they're trying – you know, they're trying to get – bigger business he looks and he does some research and he finds out that in you know for whatever reason you know a lot of black households own this television and he realizes okay well we did that with the you know you did that without even trying right if you're targeting maybe you know you're not going to be the best brand nationally but you could own the you know the entire you know every single you know african-american household will own one of your tvs you know that's going to lead to a lot of profit and you know he brings this to the bosses and they're of course offended but you know, one of the one of the points of this episode is of that episode is that you know discrimination doesn't make sense from a purely capitalist perspective because yeah. everybody's money spends the same and you know there is you know it's illogical to let out just you know to to, to, to exclude an entire group of people from profit just because you don't like them. You know, one of the suggestions in this episode might be that the way to get, you know, women involved in more in Ferengi society is kind of demonstrating that, no, when women go towards, you know, the profit motive, they are going to make a lot of profit. I mean, yeah, how many – this is doesn't seem to be the case with Quark's parents, 
But I can posit that there probably are a lot of Ferengi couples who, you know, are a husband and wife, you know, silent partnership, you know, where they're kind of – or the wife is making decisions through the husband. Like that has to work in some households. That has to be the case. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there are real indications that um, that's probably happening, you know, in this particular instance as well. I mean with that conversation that, that Quark has with his mother at the end of the episode, which is sort of like a – you know, a reckoning for for Quark really understanding yeah. the nature of of his parents' relationship to a large degree. I mean, but, it's, it's sad that you know you can imagine in a, you know in a Ferengus where you know women were allowed to participate. That you know, well, Quark, you know, she would be in business and Quark would be working for her, and then you know, take over the family business. You know, like the two of them together would 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 make a lot of money. You know, but they're not allowed to have that kind of a partnership. Right. Well, they're not allowed to have that kind of partnership now. Yeah. You know, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the future? Of course, you know, and and it would be the best situation for, you know, the next generation or the next generation to be able to have that kind of, you know, but they, you know. But that's that's what I that's what I like about the kind of the, the development of the Ferengi and specifically how they deal with it in this episode, because, you know, going back to what you were saying about the, the Mad Men episode it's making me think of how, you know, systems of supremacy work. And so if you look at, say, that particular example that you're making, the analogy of the Mad Men episode where the the white television company executives don't want to deal with, with the black market because yeah. they don't want to be a, a black company, quote unquote, yeah. or a black television, you know, in, in a certain sense – uh, in the same way, I think the Ferengi, their lip service to capitalism, which is obviously not any form of capitalism that we understand mm. because there are extreme regulations in place, rules in place. There are, you know, the whole thing about women uh, uh, not being allowed to earn property is so obviously not a purely capitalist viewpoint. It is grounded in mm. Uh, Ferengi men wanting to maintain their superiority and their supremacy over their women that, uh, you know, and it's baked into their culture and it's baked yeah. into the way that their government operates. Well, it's based into their sense of masculinity. I mean, what the sense of, you know, one of the slang that they use is, you know, the lobes for business, you know, and, right. you know, they, they, they say lobes in the sense way, same way we would say balls, you know, we, especially, yeah. Given how Ferengi ears are, you know, erogenous zones, and also um, given given how the fact that I think the two Ferengi that we two Ferengi women we've seen have smaller ears than the men. Yeah, I mean that's obviously you know, you know it's 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 a it's a metaphor. I mean you know that that was one of the I, I remember a comment on a paper in college where I wrote about phallus, and she said you know that's not it's not really a penis you know they're they're different things but anyway yeah. metaphors um yeah the Identity as a Ferengi, as a proud Ferengi, as a proud Ferengi man is having large lobes and having a large capacity and ability towards business. And to admit that that's not gen, you know, that is not gendered is admitting in the cases of people like Rom, for example, that they are less than a man. I mean, part of the part of why. Nog's declaration that he's, you know, going to become a Starfleet office officer. I mean, he is in a way, you know, going to a coal mining, you know, town and saying I'm going to be a ballet dancer. I mean, yeah. that's kind of, you know, th that's the extent of the shock that this, you know, that statement is of the rebelling against the the way that he's supposed to go. Um, 
And yet this episode is making it clear that everybody really is different. You have, you know, men who are not good at profit, who don't have this head for business, who are, you know, at the end, she makes a point to say how, you know, loving and caring and, you know, nurturing the thought and how much of a sense of family, you know, we may see those as feminine traits, but, you know, that's something that the father very much has, whereas the mother is the one who has the traditionally masculine traits of business of, you know, uh, of willingness to, you know, ignore the law when it, you know, it's going to make her a profit. We well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we've had conversations, you know, off mic that that, you know, you you've intimated it while you've said outright that that, you know, these are reasons why men need feminism, too. You yeah. Know, feminism is obviously. Yeah. Uh, uh, the liberation of women and treating them as equals and all of that, but it's also you know a way for uh, you know men to uh, 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 come to terms with that as well. I think. Well, it's the flip side. You know, it, it, it's a further nuance onto what Nog says about his father. You know, he could have been a great engineer, but you know, because he was a Ferengi man, he had to go into business. You know, he did what he was supposed to do as, and you know, he did something that he sucks at. You know. Cork turns out to be, you know, very fairly gender normative, let's say, um, in that, you know, his capacity and his interests are in profit, even though as a denizen of Deep Space Nine, he does have other sympathies which sometimes come out. Um, yeah. You know, but somebody like Rom is hurt by his being pushed into this way that he's not really geared towards. And I think it's very interesting how we are seeing Rom beginning to get more of a backbone, especially in this episode. I mean, this is the most, this is, the, you know, when, when it comes to things of family, he is, you know, he is a mama bear in a kind of a way, you know. He says, you know, you don't get to make your decision about Nog, you know, he's my son, you know. Here when he sees, you know, his mother and his brother fighting, you know, he... He's the one who's being very st- – he is the one who has the backbone in this. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think that, that it's interesting because I think what, what this episode really makes clear more than any other Ferengi episode is that uh, Ferengi society or Ferengi culture is one in which it is is really lying to itself to a large degree. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's saying that profit is what's important above all other, that making money is what's important. But at the end of the day, of course, what is more important than that is maintaining male supremacy over women. And, you know, to, to the very real degree that, you know, again, I don't know that the I don't know that this episode, this is not a perfect episode by any means. No. I think that there's a darkness to the way that the Ferengi treat their women as I mean, literal slaves. I mean, if she did not sign the, the confession, she was going to get sold into indentured yeah. servitude. They're not allowed to wear clothes. They're not allowed to talk to men <laughs> that they don't know. Uh, they're not allowed to learn how to read. I mean, these are the Ferengi are essentially making their women out to be non non entities, to be non people, right? Yeah. And so, but I like that we're seeing, you know, undergrounds of women who are ignoring all of those restrictions. Oh yeah, because and of course Ishka is not going to be the only Ferengi woman who does it. We know is, it's not. Yeah, neither is Pell. And you know, so the two of them are. You know, they're kind of new women, if you want to use that term in a way. You know, they they are in many ways representing an undercurrent of Ferengi society, of women who are looking to get more out of it, who are willing to do things, you know, to do what they want in secret. And, you know, there is hope for the next generation, I would say. Well, I think to it, you know, to, to a very real degree, you know, how uh, 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 the women in the in Frankie society embodied by uh, Ishkin, embodied by Pell, is also making Quark and Rom 
grapple with the sort of, I guess, brainwashing or Stockholm syndrome that they have in their own culture. Yeah. Because again, you know, to go back to our own sort of history, you know, when women started to be very, very strong in their desire to be liberated and be treated as equals and not to be treated as uh, a lesser beings yeah. in their own relationships and in their own, you know, to be or treated property or property, uh, you know, men had to grapple with their like role in society. And I think that that's what's we're seeing in this episode yeah. as well, where the women are the ones that are kind of pushing the envelope. But at the end of the day, Rom has to Rom is starting to, you know, they're the women are liberating themselves, but they're also helping Rom liberate himself as well in a way and Quark to a large degree yeah. as well. You know, Rom is 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 being uh, uh, his consciousness is being raised to borrow a term yeah. from from the old days. You know, like he's he's realizing that he doesn't need to hew to the structures of power in his own society and he's he's and starting to push back and that the structures of power are both incorrect and wrong yeah you know because again he sees he sees his own mother having these abilities that you know he never even you know imagined you know again the the empire that she's created you know is something that you know quark is shocked by you know by how much she's done yeah and, yeah you know and yet he's and he's also seeing how happy he's making her and it's making her more herself. And so, you know, it's as somebody who loves his mother. And I mean, you know, part of the joke is that Nog is a mommy's boy, you know, that she. You mean Rom? Rom, yes. Um, part of the joke is that Rom is a mama's boy. And, you know, the scene when she takes off her clothes and brushes his, sharpens his teeth for him, you know. Yeah, but, you know, he does have, you know, the fact that he does have a closer bond to the mother allows her allows him to in a way see her as more of a person than maybe cork is quite able to until after they have you know they finally have that conversation which yeah you know is implied to be kind of the first fully honest cards on the table conversation they've had in a long time yeah i think so and i think that that you know the other the other interesting thing about that as well, I think, is that I think Quark is shocked to a large degree at the the I guess the 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 raw avarice of Ferengi society because he hasn't been back there in a long yeah. time. And so, you know, you see these scenes where, you know, he goes to see Liquidator Brunt at the Tower of Commerce, whatever the fuck it is, <laughs> and you know, you have to pay to use the elevator. You have to pay to see him. You have to pay to take a chair. You have to pay to stand. And I think, you know, Quark is someone who's coming back to his own culture after being gone for for a number of years yeah. and being shocked by uh, certain elements of it that he perhaps forgot about or romanticized. I, 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 yeah, I mean, to a degree, you know, Quark's profit centers around his bar against smuggling against against glamorous things. Frankly, uh, you know, and he's around people who don't really have much use at all for money who you know no one in the federation people in the federation barely know what money is right. you know and well to a large degree the ferengi ferengi culture and the ferengi economy seems to be largely based around legalizing extortion yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah it's, it's and i also think it's interesting that ishka doesn't seem to have made her profit that way she seems to have actually made money building something investments and things yeah. yes so, which you know, you can argue whether or not investing well, capital and creating capital is also, you know, but for the purposes in the of this example con- that they we see where she buys a beetle farm and it sells good beetles, you know, that's about as innocuous an investment as you know one could think about. For example, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. 
I also think that it's it's not incidental. I mean, we haven't really discussed the the B plot of the episode, which is Cisco, uh, you know, dancing around the the freighter captain. Oh yeah. But I like it. You know, we'll talk about it. But I also think that it's it's indicative of something in the larger plot because Cassidy Yates is a woman who's yeah. liberated. There's no question about her equality. She's a business owner. She's doing her own thing. You know, she's she's not just a business owner. She's a freighter captain. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you want to talk about a job that sounds traditionally masculine, there you go. And, you know, but she is living in a society that doesn't have, you know, these restrictions, that doesn't seem to have these social mores. And so she's able to do whatever she, you know, is most, you know, able to do and, you know, is does well. Well, yeah, because, I mean, not to read too much into Ishka's clothing choices, but, of course, when have we ever not read too much into something <laughs> on this podcast? But, you know, she's wearing very feminine clothing, you know, that, that we're reading as feminine. You know, the pattern, she's wearing dresses and flowing. It reminded me of, like, stuff my grandmother used to wear when she was, you know, dressing It was up, very you know. sort of golden girls. Yeah, I was going to say, my, my Italian Brooklyn grandmother, you know, it's, it's, it's tacky, but, you know, you got to love it. Yeah, so I think that in a certain sense too, that's also a short, you know, it's shorthand for us, but it's also indicative of the ways in yeah. which she's thinking about her own liberation as well. You know, Ishka yeah, is that's not true. She's not wearing. She's not wearing pants yet. Yeah, she's not being a. She's not a. You know, she is a. She is a liter- liberated woman with you know emphasis on the woman part of that. In that, she's not attempting to be masculine. She's not trying to be a man. She's trying to get power as a woman. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And also, I think, you know, we've kind of danced around the, the, the relationship stuff in the episode to some degree. But, you know, I don't know how much there is to say about it. I think it's 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 pretty – there's not a lot of subtext there. I think it's, it's you know, there's a brotherly, uh, uh, yeah. uh, you know, rivals for her affection. And obviously, Rom is her favorite. And Quark feels like he was always shunted off to the side and et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But, you know, that, that also does kind of color in a little bit of, of, of why Quark – treats rom the way he does why yeah. rom is a little beaten down you know the, all these kind of things i think it's nice i think it's a it's a it's a pretty good episode it's a great episode it's my favorite episode no it's not how do you know what i know <laughs> all right let's talk about shakar which uh yeah that's this is a hell of an episode yeah they always make a pattern of doing something about bejor in the latter part of a season here mm-hmm. and uh it's usually pretty bad yeah um it's interesting because this ent- there was a point and you know one of my notes was to this effect you know where i thought okay you know kai win is an act doesn't actually care about the reclamators she has you know she very specifically is doing this to fuck with um you know, Shakar, she wants to destroy him for some reason. But at the end, it turns out that isn't even it. Like, mm-hmm. she isn't even thinking that deeply. Like, this is just, you know, they're saying, no, well, let's blow him up, you know? Like, and that kind of makes, you know, win with an agenda is bad enough, but win without an agenda is worse almost. She doesn't know what she's doing. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, if we think back to our conversation about the episode Life Support. Yeah. And, you know, of course, we kind of said, well, wind seemed kind of like her, the, the sale, you know, the wind was taken out of her sails. And that was partially because yeah. Louise Fletcher had the flu. <laughs> she's she's very much more Kai Wynn in this episode oh, than yeah. she was in that episode. But, uh, you know, we kind of had conversations about she doesn't know what to do with the power yeah. now that she has it. And I think in this episode, we get the answer. She wants more. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's figured out a way to get well, more power. Well, you know, it, it, it's one of the things that, you know, I was reading about, you know, police 
forces with like riot gear and how there are more they're more likely to call in stuff if you get new riot gear out of new toy syndrome and so there is a degree where suddenly kai win can deploy the military and so the second she has the thinnest produce yes let's do this you know i mean she's crazy she's violent she's a warmonger well i don't know it's a little gendered i don't know that i want to call her crazy but i think i would i I mean i would call a male politician who immediately deployed the army as crazy as well i I would that's fair i mean (laughs) i'm not calling you a you know no 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 no, like yeah i want to no i want to make it clear like no i think the act of calling a civil war beyond such a tiny thing is I mean, the, the characters don't say that, but yes, th- th- that's wrong. Uh, that that's not logical. That's that's dangerous. Yeah, no, it is. It absolutely is. I, you know, it's funny because one of the <laughs> one of the problems I always have with this episode is that I don't really understand how the Bajoran government works. Oh no, and I think that maybe that's partly intentional and partly not intentional because. Well. They seem, I mean, this is going to go a little too far down a road, but I will keep it as short as possible because I don't want to bore people that are not interested in like political theory or systems of government. But uh, Richard's already fallen asleep. But it seems to be a parliamentary system. They have a first minister, which, of course, is like a prime minister. But the mm. prime minister is directly elected because they say that Chakar is going to stand as as a candidate. So they don't have a, tra- you know, so it's 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 kind of a hybrid system in that way. Kai Wen is the, is the the head of the religion. She's she's the pope essentially, but she also is now the prime minister, who I guess is the head of government. So the yeah, whole thing is well, very confusing. You know, that's the thing. Number one, who if, appointed her? Yeah, it almost seems like it's to the effect of, you know, next to the next to the the first minister. You know, the Kai is the only person who has elected power right now, and we are dealing with an interim government. So she is given the temporary position. I mean, I think it's made clear through the episode that she is only right now temporarily you know yeah yeah she's an interim they do say that she's going to have to go through an election but they very explicitly say early on in the episode at this point it's a formality right yeah because at this point she's the beloved kai and you know and she saved them from cardassian part of the implication is that nobody seems that sees anything wrong with her and you know no other politician is going to bother because you know why you know she's going to win anyway Mm -hmm. um but what I think is very interesting about the end of this episode is that we are – Bejor is moving from a government that's influenced by the religion to one that's influenced by the military. Yeah. And that's – you know, just as we said, you know, OK, with the – you know, with the, with the decimation of the Obsidian Order, you know, things like Cardassia are going to change. Well, things like Cardassia are going to change here too. The role of the Bajoran religion might shift. Possibly. I mean I think that, that- – you know, I don't know that we have enough information to make yeah. that determination one way or the other. You know, I think that it's a hard question to answer because so much of it is 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 in progress. Yeah. And we don't know where it's going to go. And I also think well, part I of it— I don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. You know where I know it's, where it's going. Go. But in, in, in effect, I don't know either because I can't tell you. I mean, I could tell you, but it would kind of destroy the concept of this podcast, and we don't want to do that. But, but you still know what's going to happen. I do still know, yes. There you go. Uh, that this is really an episode about Bejor kind of essentially growing up in a way mm. and, and Kira going back to an older version yeah. of herself. You know, remember last Whoa. week you talked about Kira coming to terms with the idea that there were things that were bigger than Bejor. She was thinking on a larger scale. Yeah. And this is her kind of going back to but the, the Kira of the first season. Y- you know, I would say it's not because I think... 
Kira of the first season would fight every battle that was given to her. I think this one she is realized, you know, the series isn't saying that fighting all battles is wrong, but, you know, this is one that turns out like, no, Bejor is about to be given from one tyrant and, you know, to another. You know, life under Kaiwin is going to be bad. If this is what she does during her very first challenge, imagine, you know, she's setting a precedent here, and that's wrong, and that is something that is against everything that both Kira, both Kira and the Federation are against. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's, you know, the fact that Cisco doesn't seem to do, you know, he, Cisco can't interfere because, you know, of his position. But the fact that he has no consequences whatever for Kira shows that he agrees with her. Yeah, yeah. And also, frankly, too, I think that, that you know, that scene with Kai Wen and Cisco is really interesting because for two reasons. Number one is that, when Kai Wen is not talking to Cisco, she refers to him as Commander Cisco. When she is talking to him directly, she's constantly talk, calling him the emissary. Mm. You know, that's very deliberate, I think. And also that she's she's so uh, you know, Kai Wen's a hard character to figure out because I don't know if she's just bought her own hype. I don't know if she really yeah. believes that she's untouchable. You know, she's essentially using the the Federation. It, you know the the the, the federation and bittens of Bajor into the federation as as like some sort of leverage to get what she wants out of this which is it's very, a bargaining chip, which is yeah. very minor in the scheme of things you know i mean she's essentially uh, uh calling cisco's bluff on something that is very very minor with like a shotgun do you know what i mean like it's it's a bad idea well, that's it like and she doesn't even realize that or or she re- i don't know what she thinks she but, can't handle she's one of those people who can't handle power i mean yeah. she she gets a little bit and she 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 gets corrupt i mean and she's th- a, in this episode she's gotten a lot well yeah and she's essentially willing to Torpedo Bajor's chances at, at yeah. getting into the Federation over what? Yeah, over being not not even told no, but being told let's have a conversation about this. But in a sense, though, I think it makes sense because Kaiwen has always been a character yeah. that is very interested in the appearance more than actually uh, uh, the work. I mean, we saw that in Life Support, where she's not interested whatsoever in the treaty very much. She yeah. just wants to do it to make herself look good. Um, and also in this episode, I think she's she wants to make a, a strong stand here because they need these devices to start exporting, you know, well, grain you know, again, so that Bajor looks good. You know that the, the this when you know Kira's saying, you know, look, you've taken all the credit for the for the treaty, you know. You you've never acknowledged you know Baral's you know view in this, and she yeah. says, "Well, he never wanted the credit. He wasn't doing this for the credit, you know." And she uses it to you know imply that you know Baral and Kira weren't as close. I mean, she's twisting the knife at this point. Oh, sure. But you know that's completely missing the point of what you know Baral saying. I don't care about the credit for this. I mean, we've seen. You know, Cisco is. Baral not caring about the credit doesn't mean that Wynn has to take the credit. That's it. Doesn't mean that he doesn't want to. You know, she wants to be known as the person who. First, she had. You know, she has. She's known as the person who got this treaty between Bejor and Cardassia. She also wants to be known as the person who made it possible for exports to go and, you know, Bejor to go on the world stage. You know, rather than the one that's, you know, she managed to feed her own people because the other is going to be more noticed. Now, that is, I would say, a politically savvy thing to decide. You sure. Know, if this weren't a con- if there weren't a conflict between, if she could just 
choose between exports and more farmland, you know, you know, maybe, you know, without any consequences, exports would be the more noticeable one, you know, because, but. Well, I think what it's really crystallizing for me is I think we've had conversations about this before, but, but one of the things that is different in Deep Space Nine is that, uh, you know, Star Trek in general assumes that everyone is kind of, it takes everyone at face value and it assumes the good of everyone. And I think in Deep Space Nine, that's definitely not the case. And I think that Kaiwen's a perfect example of that yeah. because we can't take her at face value. She has plots going on in her mind. I, I, you know, and the thing is with Kaiwen, I don't think that she's, it would be really easy to say she's evil. It would be really easy to say she's insane. She's some kind of Hitler figure. Yeah. But she's not. I think that she oh. does actually want Bajor to be a, a a good place, but I think she just has a very twisted interpretation of what that means. You know, it's not that different from how Cardassian, you know, we've said Cardassians seem to think that the, the way of Cardassian state is whatever their interpretation is right. You know, Kaiwin loves it when Bajor's interests align with her interest because yeah. that's great. She can get ahead and the sit in and, and the place that she, you know, loves that she came from, that she's seen, I mean, because she has seen, you know, how bad things have gotten on Bajor. You know, you could see her, yes, definitely wanting things to be improved. If this farmland could be restored, you know, that would be wonderful. Yeah. If 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 it turns out that what would get Kaiwen ahead doesn't get Bajor ahead, well, that's a shame for Bajor. You know, I, I think really that's as far as, you know, she's sociopathic in the sense that, you know, like people you know, tend to think that people who are sociopathic will, you know, fly and go crazy. You know, it's like right. No, but but if 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 your entire you know being is focused on yourself, well, you are probably going to follow laws because being in jail is going to be really awful for you. You know that that's that's I think when when I say when is sociopathic, she's kind of that kind of sociopath. You know, she likes it when you know things are going okay. You know, but if she has the option, she's going to save herself. Yeah, but I also I agree with all of that, but I think that that the other thing that the episode doesn't really make clear is that she might be right. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. to a large degree this might actually be the right decision for for Bajor. Well, that that that's that's what the the first minister or the president or whoever is supposed to do. Yeah, they yeah. have to make these tough decisions for well, what's best for for their their polity as a, as a whole. And you know, yeah, I understand that these farmers want to feed their people but at yeah, the yeah. same time it might actually be more beneficial for Bajor to export for whatever reason but here's the thing you know in the episode but she's not able to compromise it, like, in any way that that's it like if you know if, if she, you know Shakar is willing to sit down and talk to her and with you know Cisco and Kira moderating that discussion because both of them will be there you know Maybe they, you know, maybe two are going to go to this other land, you know, for exports and yeah. one could stay. They, you know, they can work something out, you know, they can figure or maybe they could finally explain to Shakar like, look, we can't do this this year. You know, next year we'll give it to you. You know, you will be first in line. You know, you'll have him for a song, but we really need to deal with this first, you know, and maybe in a way that they could, un, you know, explain to them or maybe they could figure out a way of using it long enough to be self-sufficient and or hell tell them that they would give them yeah. part of the crop in this other province exactly they have so many different op- but there are that's the thing you know you and i who are people who are just you know talking about a made-up tv series have come up with a half dozen solutions you know kai win you know 
wants it, it her way and nothing else. You know, she's not even, you know, she is so upset when she hears, you know, the word negotiation that she dismisses Kira and immediately arrests them, you know. But you know what? You know what's interesting about that, though, is that I think what it really comes down to is the difference between uh, the ways in which religious figures exercise their power and ways in which non-religious figures exercise their power. Hmm. Because, of course, Kaiwen is very used to people doing what she says because she has an aura of spirituality and exactly and and you don't question that but when you are being a secular governmental official because i said so is not usually a good enough reason yeah and and it's another reason that i think the fact that the episode ends with her power being very limited just to the kai hood uh as a good thing because she does need caps no, absolutely she does. I mean, it's not a good idea. Well, because, you know, the whole episode is 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 built upon the idea that Kira is just blindsided and, and, and you know, gobsmacked by the idea that the religious leader of, of the Bajoran religion is also going to be in charge of the government. <laughs> and, you know, this also indicates to me that, we you know, we haven't talked yet about... Uh, uh, the the Bajoran militia and the ways in which the the ex resistance fighters yeah. are, are there's there's a lot of different tensions here in the culture and the society and so there's there's kind of an indication here even that perhaps Bajoran society or the Bajoran government is not exactly the most mature yet because of course this is yeah. not a good idea yeah but Kira says why doesn't anyone see this and it's like well maybe they don't see it because Bajor is kind of fucked up yeah I mean I would say that. You know, I got the sense that Kira's objection was more to Kai Win than the Kai being the head of the government because uh, one of the first things we learned about Kai Opaka, one of the first things we learned in the series was that Opaka was the only thing for a while that was keeping everyone from degrading into civil war. Yeah. Now the Kai is what's pushing everyone into civil yeah. war. Yeah. Um, but – to a very real degree, if this if if Kaiapaka didn't have her adventure on this other planet, if Kaiwin never got elected, and people were saying, "Well, Kaiapaka should be the head of the government now," you know, or if you know we had Kai Barai and he were head of the government, no one would have no none of our main cast would have a problem with that. Maybe well, I don't know. Kira wouldn't. Kira wouldn't have a problem. I don't think with Kai you know Kai Barai being Barial. Kai Barile. Why are you saying Barai? Because it rhymes with Kai. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that we have enough information to make that determination or not. You know, I think that it's, I mean, it's an interesting thought exercise, but at the end of the day, it's unanswerable. Yes. The, you know, the point is, what you know, whatever, whatever the reason for Kai win, whether it's because the Kai would compromise the government or win herself just as a corrupting figure. Mm-hmm. Either way, this isn't a good idea. No, no, it's not a good idea. So I think that, that you know, the other thing we need to talk about, of course, is is this whole tension between Kira and the resistance fighters and the militia mm-hmm. and how they kind of come together to, to essentially push Kai Win out of, out of yeah. the minister's office again. You know, and, and it's interesting because I think that, that – Finally, some adults are stepping in, and are they making a good choice? I don't know, but maybe they're making the best of a bad situation. You know, the, it's the fact that, you know, Shakar and the other military guy, the fact that the two of them are willing to put the moment to, you know, when he says, like, listen, you know, 
you can't not let me walk out because we're going to be in a civil war and nobody wants that. And, you know, by realizing that backing down, you know, to a degree, this almost reminds me of World War One in that, you know, that war was, yeah, yeah. you know, is universally agreed to have been a pissing contest, you know, that started for no real reason and – you know, no, but nobody wanted to back down from it. Right, and once and, the chain of treaties and alliances yes, started off, it, there was no stopping it. It was, you know, once it was set in motion, it was too late to stop. But yeah, um, this is, you know, Shakar and the other guy, you know, realizing that, no, we do need to back down because the consequences of not backing down are too great. And, you know, during that conversation, they come up with a plan that they at least think will help Bajor. Yeah, and I also like the fact that it comes down to the idea that this is not what they want Bajor to be. Yeah. You know, there there's a there's a degree of of, you know, well for the grace of God go we. Like I, I don't yeah. you know, they don't they don't want Bajor to collapse into civil war. They didn't they they I mean they make this point explicitly, but they yeah. say they didn't fight the Cardassians for 25 years only to start shooting at each other. You yeah. know, and so and there's really no reason for it. And I think that's kind of the 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 takeaway from it is that they were able to step back from the precipice, but only just. Yeah, and, I and, mean, you know, I mean, if you if you link this to what happened in the three parter at the beginning of last season, hmm. you know, this is Bajor might slowly be getting a little bit better. It might be progressing a little bit more. That it might be maturing a little bit more. But at the end of the day, it does still have some real severe problems and and divisions within its own society, and they're they're being exacerbated by the people in power. They're not being helped. Now, a question I had, was this land that's – either of the lands that's under contention, was that the land that, that agricultural ref, the agricultural refugees from the Dominion were looking to retail? I, I mean know. either way – They don't make that I, – I, I don't think they say. Either way, they were looking to do this project two years ago. Yeah. I think that's very interesting. It's, like, yeah, that, that's it, yeah, it shows because, the short-sightedness of it. Yeah, you know, because if if they had, you know, gone and been, you know, been doing this work, you know, already or working with, you know, people like Shakar and his friends, you know, the situation would have been a very different one. Yeah, I think so. And I think that, that it's also the, the willingness of Bajor to be open or not. You know, and yeah. I think that it's not, at the end of the episode, Bajor is kind of deciding to be open, which is good, um, but maybe not all the way. Now, part of me wonders if, you know, they ne- they just suddenly appeared today, you know, and said to Kai, you know, hi, when we'd like to do, you know, we'd like to work on this if she would have hired them. But that's another speculation moment. Well, they're all at Earth 2 or whatever no, no. now. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we haven't really talked about the character of Shakar much. I don't know that there's much really to say have about anything it. Anything to he's, say about him? He's it was, generically charming and handsome. He's exactly what I thought he would be. Like there weren't really any twists to it, but in a way, that's important because we, yeah, you know, for for his role in this, and um, oh god, the other leader who was killed. You know, what's his name that they rescued in the three parter? Oh, um, Lee Nollis. Lee Nollis, yeah. Like, he was a much more complex character because his complexities were, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the focus on this. But we, you know, the episode kind of has to go out of its way to show Shakar as overwhelmingly the better choice to Kaiwin. In other yeah, words, there yeah. can't even be, you know, we don't even see a single blemish on him, you know, and that's deliberate, you know. Literally, they, he's got great skin. Oh, he's beautiful. Um, Later, we can deal with him as a much more complex character. You know, I assume that this will 
not be the very last time we see him because, no. you know, he has <laughs> he has a very important role. He will appear. Um, but, you know, a- again, we can go into, you know, who he really is and, you know, whether it or not that was a good alliance. But right now, he has to seem, you know, too good to be true. Yeah, I think so. And also, you know, finally, I, I like the sort of lived in relationship that they all have yeah. together. I think it's one of the nice things about the episode. It does a good job of kind of selling this group of people as, you know, yes, they, they have their own interests at play here. They're not completely uh, uh, being, uh, you know, altruistic or, 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 no. or unselfish, but at the same time, they are doing this for a greater purpose as well. Again, it's an, it's a serendipity between their interests and their planet's interests yeah yeah you yeah. know i i think that you know people in general on the series in real life tend to like when you know they and their community are moving in sync in a way yeah yeah and i think too you know the i forget the character's name but the man without the arm yeah uh the the Bajoran names in this episode kind of just i don't know they go <laughs> they go over my head but but uh uh that 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 scene where he's talking about why he hasn't uh yeah. you know brought his arm back i think in a way it, you know it, it, you could make a link saying okay him growing his arm back forgetting about the vow that he made to the people yeah. sort of shortcutting his own you know healing as a as a person in the same way that Kai Wynn making the decision to sort of like jumpstart exports again is sort of it's shortcutting the 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 hmm. building of Bajor in the galactic community. You know, yeah. they they need to go through the hard work before they can actually, you know, take a take an equal foot on the on the galactic stage or however yeah. you want to say it, you know? You know, I like that you know, I have to say, I cause that was a f- you know, fairly extended scene, I remember being an and an excellent one. And then you also have when the when Shakar and the other, you know, the, the militia lead their meet, there is this number one no soundtrack section, yeah, where the two of them are just talking about each other's military records, and it's a very, I mean, that was a beautiful scene, you know, it, but it's just this weird moment of calm, you know, yeah. where they're, yeah. you know, finally being people to each other. Yeah, yeah, that's nice, and also the fact that they don't. They don't sell the idea that they are missing these days, which I think is also very important because this could very easily fall yeah. into, well, things were better when we were fighting the Cardassian. <laughs> they make a point of saying, no, this is kind of shitty. Like, you know, this isn't fun. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, we're older now, you know. We, we yeah. you know, and that's the thing, you know, they, th- there is a sense of melancholy that they can't grow, you know, he can't retire and just become a peaceful gentleman farmer, you know, like he can't just, you know, have his little life and his little farm and his land and, you know, enjoy the, you know, right. Enjoy a nice earned rest, you know, number, you know, number one, he can't even make that farm and he has to fight just to stay alive in order to get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in a certain sense, I I think you could probably make the argument that I don't think Bajor is ever really going to heal until the next generation comes up, you know, that, that, didn't have any yeah. direct experience or knowledge of the Cardassian occupation. But, you know, I, I, uh, I wonder if this is setting up a theme of, you know, how, how in America at least we tend to treat our veterans horribly um, mm-hmm. and, you know, don't really give them the state support that they right. need. Uh, you know, that, we that's, give them a lot of rhetorical support, yeah, but not, not actual. Not actual, yeah. you know. 
which was, you know, one of the points that Bashir made during the uh, uh, past past tense, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that we could take care of all of these people. The technology exists, you know, the yeah. resources exist to at least begin to address, but we're not even doing that. I yeah. mean, that this is, uh, you know, Kai Wen is saying to Shakar, yeah, you might have, may have fought to, you know, take care of Bajor, but fuck you, we aren't even giving you your farm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's a dark note to leave it on. Hey, you, you never said this was a happy show. <laughs> well, if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we just talked about, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast to be found at trekaboutshow.com. Uh, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash trekaboutshow, where you can see our perks and give us some money if you feel so inclined to su- show your support for the show. Our social media username, where you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, is trekaboutshow. And finally, please leave us a positive iTunes review. It is the best way for new people to find the show, and it just makes us feel good. We like it. We read it to each other. Eric's like, Richard, we got another thing. And he'll text me, and he'll show me a little picture, and I'll be like, oh, my God. And I'll turn to the dog, and I'll be like, wait a second. I don't have a dog. Next week, we are wrapping up the third season. Things are coming to a head. We're only finishing season three. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't as long as season two, There's but it's so much more of the show to come. Oh my god, we're not even halfway through. We're never going to get to Tuvok. No, we we saw Tuvok already. I, I don't believe that that was Tuvok, Eric, <laughs> and I missed the moment. I told you not to mention Tuvok anymore. Tuvok is done. You never told me not to mention I Tuvok. Did Tuvok. we have Tuvok coming? He's a main cast member on Voyager. Well, let me just tell you something right now. There are no characters on Voyager. <laughs> Next week, we are talking about Fasis, which is a follow-up to something that you mentioned a few episodes ago, wondering if they were ever going to follow up again on it. Oh, my God. Is it the baby computer? Uh, it could not be. Oh. And then we're talking about the adversary, the season finale. Is the adversary the baby computer? Yes. Thank you for spoiling it. We'll see you next week. <laughs>